Well, again, good morning, and thank you to Pastor Taylor Kern and also to the leadership here, the consistory, for the invitation to, to come from the colder Ontario in Canada and to come to the warmer Ontario here and to enjoy uh, thinking about the book of Hebrews with you. Uh, our first meditation is Hebrews 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, you're invited to turn there. As we look at God's Word together, we'll be thinking about uh, this theme of the race of faith, and this first talk is centered on how do you enter that race? How do you begin the race of faith as a Christian? And, and we get an answer to that uh, in part from Hebrews 11. Uh, again, verses 1 and 2 are, is our focus. I'm going to read actually verses 1 through 3, and then I'll skip down to verse 7 uh, about Noah and start reading a little bit there as well. So this is God's word. Uh, may he bless it to our hearts on this Saturday morning as we meditate upon Hebrews together. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And going down to verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So far the reading of God's holy word. Well, I think it goes uh, without saying that we live in a world that is uh, really dominated by sight, right? Dominated by what we see with our physical eyes. I'm sure many, if not all of us, uh, participate in some way with uh, social media or the internet in general, uh, we all have, I'm sure, maybe a, a Facebook page or an Instagram, or maybe we go on Pinterest to get some ideas for home renovations or for holiday decorations. Uh, we all uh, participate in these various platforms that, that very much appeal to our eyes. Uh, my wife uh, loves uh, to do some Instagram stories on occasion, and sometimes she'll try to wrap me into them, even though she knows I don't like it, and she'll use these silly filters, right? The, you know, the dog ears or whatever it is to make a fun video together as a husband and wife. And, and, and in these platforms, you can enhance your photos, right? You can make yourself look a particular way. Uh, you could project a certain image to this world about your life, and very much uh, uh, it appeals to our eyes, these things. And what we see with our eyes is powerful because what we look at, what we focus on, what captures our attention uh, begins to form the cravings of our hearts. What we behold shapes our desires on the inside. And advertisers know this very well, right? In our world today, uh, they know uh, what this means. And so they show you uh, what your life could look like with various products. 
Uh, my wife and I, again, were in Ikea recently, and if you ever walk through Ikea, it's like, uh, you know, going through a, a liturgy almost. You walk from room to room, and you, you see these different rooms, kitchens, and bedrooms, and all the rest, and you could kind of imagine what your life could look like if you had all of these things, and by the time you get through it, um, you're, you're probably feeling a bit discontent, maybe even with your own house, and you're, you're, you're desiring to buy other things. Whether we're conscious of it or not, what we choose to set our eyes on forms what we love on the inside. What drives us every day are decisions, the little ones and the big ones. What drives our life direction is not always what we think in our heads, but it's actually what our hearts have gripped onto. We're driven by what we love. And that setup is by God's design. God created us, he created you, to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why you and I were made. Uh, but in this fallen world, we are tempted to set our eyes on other things to give our lives meaning and purpose and value. And the question for us then is not simply, you know, do you have faith or do you behold things? But, but what is your faith in? What is your heart gripped with? What do you set your eyes on. And in this first talk, we want to think about the Christian faith. We want to think about some of the key characteristics of Christian faith and what this means for this race that we are to run. We see here in Hebrews that we begin this race uh, by placing our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone. And uh, there's two aspects of faith here, as we read from verses 1 and 2, that I want to highlight for you and, and meditate on. Uh, the first one uh, says here in verse 1, faith is the assurance. I think the, actually the New King James gets it better. Uh, faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. And we'll dig into what that means in just a moment. Before we dig into that first key aspect of faith, of faith being the assurance or conviction of things hoped for, I just want to set this in a little bit of context if you're not familiar with the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews is a very important book. It's written to a group of Christians who are tempted to walk away from Jesus. These are some Christian believers who are experiencing persecution in some sense. Some are losing their homes. Some are being mistreated physically for the faith. Others are just being looked down upon because they're, they're followers of a Messiah, a Jesus that you can't see with your physical eyes. And so they're being persecuted and some are being tempted to go back to the Old Testament religion of Judaism because it very much appeals to the eyes. You can see the sacrifice. You can see the high priest. You could see the temple. And so some are tempted to go back to this comfortable and culturally acceptable religion. And really the point of the book of Hebrews is a strong call to spur the people on to continue in faith even in the face of persecution. Chapter 10, the one before our chapter ends with those words, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. And as people live in almost 2,000 years later, these words are still very applicable to us. We continue to live in a day where we are tempted to live for what we can see. We're tempted to live for the things that we could touch, the things that are comfortable, the things that are culturally acceptable. And this whole letter is written as a strong plea to hold on to Jesus, hold on to him because it is worth it to follow him. 
And in order to encourage these Christians, the, the, the pastor to the Hebrews, the preacher to this congregation, highlights two aspects of faith that are meant to encourage them and are meant to encourage us. Again, the first key aspect is verse 1. Faith is the substance, the translation here, the assurance of things that are hoped for. Think about that. If something has substance, it means it's, it's real, it's tangible, it's, it's weighty. A substance has to do with what something is. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we're told that Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. The same word for here, the Father's substance. We understand that as Christians, that Jesus is of the same substance with the Father because Jesus is God. In his very being, he is both God and man. Well, here it says faith, think about this, faith is the substance of things that we hope for in the future. In other words, the things that you and I hope for as Christians, the things that we long for, the things that our hearts crave, the preacher to the Hebrews says those things are already made present to you by faith. In other words, you don't just look forward to future blessing, although that's true, but right now, by faith, you receive the substance of those things in Jesus. Think about a couple of ways uh, this is true. You know, Christians, we, we hope, don't we, one day for the resurrection of our bodies, right? When, when we're not sick anymore, when we're not tired, when they don't grow old, and when they don't decay, but the word of God says, even now, the spirit of God raises us up to newness of life. Uh, Christians hope one day to be free from sin. In this struggle against our flesh, we long for the day when we'll fully put off the old man. But the scriptures say, even now, the spirit has been poured out to help us in our weaknesses to live for Jesus. Christians desire to enjoy God's presence one day where there's fullness of joy and to be in the presence of of Jesus himself, the scriptures say, even right now, we hear that word of pardon that God's favor is already upon us because of faith in Jesus Christ. Right now, people of faith can enjoy then forgiveness and peace and rest, and as we hear translated here, assurance, because faith takes hold of Christ and is the substance of those things that we are actually hoping for in the future. This means that Christian faith, it's not just wishful thinking. You know, at the end of the day, that's, that's all the world could really offer people when it comes to hope or when it comes to a kind of faith. You know, faith that the next politician or president will make this world better. Faith in ourselves that if we just believe in ourselves enough, we could make our lives better. Faith in a relationship to give us meaning. Faith in a new job that maybe if we finally take this, this new job or this, this new promotion, life's finally going to get better. But if you live long enough, you, 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 you recognize that people let you down, that jobs get old, that some relationships go sour. The preacher to the Hebrews says, God does not let you down in the ways that the things of this world let you down. By faith, we are connected right now to something, or more important, to someone who gives substance and meaning to our lives. 
by faith we are connected with a resurrected and ascended Savior who is in our flesh at God's right hand. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, our lives are hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with him in glory. And so if we begin this race of faith by taking hold of Jesus, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? If you're familiar with our Heidelberg Catechism, question answer 21, it talks about true faith, and I just want to highlight three different aspects of faith there and what it means to believe in Jesus. What does it mean to actually believe in Jesus? Well, the first thing you have to have to be connected with Jesus is knowledge. That's the first aspect, knowledge. You have to know the basics, that you're a sinner who needs salvation. You need to know that God so loved this world that he sent his son, fully God and fully man, to come to live the life that we'd never lived, to die the death that we deserve. And that when Jesus went to the cross, he actually took your sin and my sin, thought, word, and deed, past, present, and future, all of it on himself as he bore the curse and wrath of God in our place. You have to know the facts that Jesus was raised on the third day, that he ascended into heaven, and that he's coming again one day to make all things new. That's the, the basics, the knowledge that we're to have. But that doesn't make you a Christian just to know these things. You need to have the second thing as well, which is conviction. Conviction says, I believe those things are all true. I, I, I believe that Jesus really did come and that Christianity is true. I'd say, you know, most people in the church uh, who have grown up maybe in the church or have been around Christianity have maybe these two things, right? A basic knowledge of Jesus and maybe a basic conviction that these things are true. But these things alone don't save someone. I've counseled a number of young people in our church. Uh, it's, a, it's a Dutch Reformed congregation. A lot of children are raised uh, in the promises of God, but some uh, walk away. And I have a heart for them because that's when I was converted in high school. And in speaking with some of these young people, um, you see those first two aspects, that they, they believe it's all true. They know it and they believe it, but they don't want to actually walk in it, right? There, there's, there's an understanding, but there's still a desire in the heart, right, to live for the world or to live for sin for a time. What, what makes someone a Christian at the end of the day? What makes someone truly a follower of Jesus? You have to have knowledge, you have to have conviction, but the third thing is essential. You have to have personal trust in Jesus, that what happened in history was not just for the world in general, but was for you personally. That when Jesus went to that cross, you personally were on his heart. We could fall into the trap that thinking that professing faith in Jesus is just about standing before church and saying the right words or praying the right prayer, making sure we have that Jesus part of our life taken care of. But this third element of faith is not just something we do at one point in our life. It's, it's who we are. It's who we are in this world. We are people of faith in Jesus who trust him every single day for all that we need in body and soul, in life and in death. Now, this doesn't mean that um, we've had to have had some kind of 
personal radical maybe conversion experience or, or have felt a certain feeling in our life if we're to be true Christians here today. Uh, some people have been radically converted out of, out of sin in, in ways that are very obvious, ways that you could maybe point to a day. That's the day that Jesus saved me. But maybe for you, you, you were raised in the promises of God and, and you've never known a day apart from Jesus, apart from personally trusting in him and, and daily turning away from sin and looking to him. Um, I wasn't raised in the church. I came to faith by God's grace in, in high school. Um, but I remember when I was converted uh, in a mega church, um, uh, more Pentecostal in its leaning, I remember, you know, uh, coming out of sin and, and wanting to follow Jesus, but just feeling so weak. And, you know, at, at the church I was a part of, um, at the end of every service, there was a time of, you know, an altar call. And I remember probably at least 10 times, you know, anybody wants to follow Jesus here today, raise your hand, you know, eyes closed. And I remember doing that like over 10 times, like, man, I want to follow Jesus. And, and I kept rededicating myself to God because, you know, I, I, I would want to follow Jesus and then I would fight against sin all week and I wouldn't always win. And so I felt like, man, I got to, got to renew this thing and I got to, you know, hold on to Jesus if I'm going to be a Christian. And I was, you know, confused about what it meant to, to even have faith in him, to, to belong to God. And for me personally, the, the struggle was I was, you know, putting my faith and, and the right experience, even the right feeling at time, instead of loving Jesus. God had to show me that, that the focus is not primarily my feelings day by day concerning Jesus, but it's his covenant commitment to me. And this first question here in regards to beginning the race of faith is simply do you understand who Jesus is and have you taken hold of him personally for yourself the great reformer Martin Luther once said that salvation is found in the personal pronouns when you can say with the apostle Paul I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me if you have a small view of Jesus and a big view of the things of the world, it's going to be hard to be a person of faith, right? When work, when relationships, when status, when money are big in our eyes, it's hard to have a big view of Jesus. It's hard to look to him with the eyes of faith. But God invites us as Christians day after day to continually set our eyes on who Jesus is and what he did that we might have a big view of him. That's what we see here in Hebrews 11. We read here in, in verse four and following how by faith Enoch received victory over death because he pleased the Lord. We read about Abraham in verse 10, by faith Abraham was made a partaker of an unshakable kingdom even as he waited for the promised land. You see already the substance of faith of what they looked forward to was already given to them, although they still were looking forward to the fullness of those things. So that's the first aspect of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And as we go on to read, we see the second aspect of faith. It's the conviction, or other translations say, the evidence of things that are not seen. Verse 1. When we think about this second aspect of faith, we're thinking about how faith is kind of like a spiritual 
eyesight that God gives us in salvation. What I mean by that, it means when God gives us faith, we are by his grace able to perceive his fingerprints, you might say, in every aspect of this life. When you look out into the beautiful creation, when you have the eyes of faith, you, you see it as God's handiwork. When you, when you look back on your life, you, you see the providence of God in, in leading you and guiding you. Uh, faith is a kind of spiritual eyesight that God gives to us. When we read the word of God, we're able to, to see it as God's word. And especially when we, when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and we think of Jesus, we have eyes to see his beauty and his loveliness and his saving power. Uh, perhaps some of you maybe are familiar with uh, magic eye books and maybe you know what a stereogram is um, a stereogram is a is a three-dimensional image puzzle uh, you have a two-dimensional image usually like a bunch of little dots or some waves and if you look at that image long enough you know focusing your eyes in and out and maybe even trying to cross your eyes at different points or bringing it close and far uh, usually you're able to see a three-dimensional image kind of arising out of that two-dimensional uh, image. There, there's kind of an image within the image, right? And, 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 and if you try it, right? I, I tried a couple of them in preparing this talk. I probably failed half of them, uh, but you should be able to see that image. And if someone asks you, right, how do you know that three-dimensional image is actually in there in all those dots and waves? How do you know it's actually there? The answer is, in one sense, simply because you see it. The scene itself is the evidence that the image is there. Your scene did not create the image or make it a reality. It was there all along. And when it comes to faith, when God gives us new eyes in salvation, we're able to see within this world around us that our neighbors also see, we're able to see God's hand. Again, we see it even in suffering we see it in pandemic seasons. We, we see it in, in all the different circumstances of life. We see it's not just by chance that things are happening, but we, we see God's hand in these things. We're all born into this world, the scriptures say, spiritually blind. We're, we're unable to see rightly. And naturally, we're looking at ourselves as those born in sin. But in salvation, God opens our eyes and he lifts up our heads and he helps us to see rightly. And especially, he helps us to see rightly Jesus Christ and his cross. By faith, when we, when we look at the cross, when we, when we look at you know, the coming of Jesus, when we look at his suffering, we don't just see a man suffering unjustly at the hands of the state, but we see our Savior coming to accomplish salvation for us. We see the justice and the mercy of God because he has given us eyes to see. Faith is the evidence of these things. Again, the, the preacher to the Hebrews is highlighting these different aspects of faith because people in his day were suffering. They were tempted to live only by what they could see with their eyes. The people of God were, were suffering hardship, and that's all that they experienced physically before them. And so the preacher highlights these different characteristics of faith to say, even though you're going through suffering right now, even though injustice is all you're experiencing and seeing, 
It's not all there is. The substance of what you hope for as a Christian is already made known to you, and your eyes are able to perceive, even in all of these things, God's hand, which is at work. If you look at verse 7 in Hebrews 11, you see this with Noah. That's why we read a little bit more here. And Noah is a beautiful example of these things in verse 7. God spoke to Noah about a worldwide judgment, a flood that he would bring about. Those were events that were in the future. Those were events that Noah couldn't see with his physical eye as he was building the ark. Those were all future things, weren't they? But he conducted his life in light of those things, and he lived out of the conviction that God's word was true. What Noah had, brothers and sisters, is the same thing that you and I have, but to a fuller degree. The testimony of God's word. And Noah believed God and he lived by faith. What did he do? He, he built an ark and he preached a message that must have seemed so odd. And the scriptures say in our text here, when Noah built the ark, notice, he condemned the world. How was Noah condemning the world when he was hammering away every single day on that wooden ark? Well, he was testifying, wasn't he? He was testifying by his actions that he believed that what was before his eyes wasn't ultimate, but it was soon going to go away. He, He didn't hold on to the comfortable patterns of the world that he lived in, but he lived by faith in God's word and that it was true. And in the book of Hebrews, God is saying to these Hebrew Christians, don't conduct your life. Don't orient everything that you do in this life simply based on what you can see, but orient all of your life around my word, the testimony of my truth, because you were made for more than what your eyes can see. You look around today, and people are living simply for what they can see, and if we're honest, sometimes it all seems very permanent, right? Stuff, seems permanent. People live for pleasure. People live for money. People live for comfort. People live for status. People live for relationships. People live for legacy. And if there is no God, this is the only logical way to live. As Paul says, if there's no resurrection, if there's no Jesus truly raised from the dead, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Just live it up. Enjoy this world the best you can, because this is all there is. But Hebrews 11 reminds us of the many faithful who have gone before us that remind us to trust in the sure word of God. Like Noah, God calls us to live at times counterculturally and in ways that might seem so odd to this world. Imagine how people thought about Noah. I'm sure many people thought this man has off of his rocker, right? He hasn't been taking his meds. They probably mocked him as they saw him building this ark and and preaching this message about something that had never taken place in human history, this worldwide flood. Noah, you are on the wrong side of history. People say that about Christians today, right? When you live for Jesus in college, when you live for Jesus in the workplace, when you live for Jesus in the public square, you might seem odd at times. You might seem on the wrong side of history. But in salvation, God gives us eyes to see things 
And God helps us to perceive various things in this world through the lens of his word. And so how do you look at this world around you today? As you pick up the newspaper and you read about different events taking place, when you see a new political ruler coming into office, when you experience suffering in your life and you go through hardship, how do you, how do you see all of those things? Do you see them with the eyes of faith? Do you see by God's grace that these things are not happening by chance, but by his fatherly hand, and that God is working all things for his glory? As I mentioned in the beginning, the object of our faith will form our cravings in this life and what we long for. And the simple point of this first talk is the call to look to Jesus Christ because we were made for him and to be in a relationship with him that would shape everything about us. Uh, the Christian faith is not wishful thinking. It's not a, a leap in the dark. It's not one faith simply among many. But the substance of what we hope for is already made present to us. The empty tomb of Jesus summons us to place the object of our faith, or place our faith in Jesus, the only object of our faith that is worth beholding. He's the only one that could make sense of what's going on in the inside of us. The only one who could make sense of what's going on in this world because he's the one who made us and he's the one who redeemed us with his own blood. So as Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, although you do not now see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Although we do not now see Jesus with our physical eyes, may we take hold of him by faith. As we look into his word and see his saving beauty, that's how we enter the race. And as we will see later on, this is how we're able to finish the race as we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the testimony of your word, and we pray, Lord, that it would be what orients our minds and our hearts in this world that we live in, this world, Lord, that is, that is governed by sight. Lord, help us to see Jesus as the most valuable thing in all of the world. Help us to see Jesus as the only one who is able to give us the meaning that we're searching for, to give us the acceptance that we long for, the one who is able to justify us, our existence and our right standing. We thank you, O Lord, for your son. And we thank you that even now we can experience the blessings of the new creation as you testify in our hearts to these things by your Holy Spirit. Lord, continue to encourage us in these things and write your precious promises on our hearts that more and more we would live by faith and not by sight. Again, we thank you for this morning. Add your blessing to the workshop now led by Pastor Taylor in our time of fellowship. May it be sweet. May we encourage one another in the things of God. And we thank you for a beautiful morning that you have blessed us with. Hear our prayers, O Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.